It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Um, and today's show um, is a show on border security, and because we're Fed Talk, and we, um, you know, our 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 mission has always been to bring the federal community news from insiders. This is really an insider show. It is really news from the front lines of federal law enforcement on the issue of border security. There will not be a discussion of politics. It's really just from the people who do the actual law enforcement work at our international borders. And I am extremely delighted to be able to have the array of guests that I have to talk about it. I don't think you can really talk about um, border security without the guests that I have today with me. And um, so first off, we have Brandon Judd, who is the president of the National Border Patrol Council, representing um, all of our Border Patrol agents, um, of which we'll give you that great number later on in our show. It's the teaser, Brandon. Good morning, Brandon. Welcome to Fed Talk. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And Brandon's been a Border Patrol agent for 21 years, um, which means, if and he started in 1997, which means that Brandon was with Border Patrol when um, Border Patrol was INS. Yes, I was. And um, the I like to I joke around. It's a joke. I say the good old days. And that brings me um, to Larry Cosme. Good morning, Larry. Morning. Thanks for having me. And Larry, um, it, Larry's calling into our show. Larry is the National Executive Vice President for FLIOA, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. He started his career um, in 1992. Larry, I'm a little older than you um, with INS as an INS <laughs> agent. Um, and so um, so we have t- two, you know, two federal law enforcement officers, legacy INS, who've seen border issues for 20 years. Larry, thanks for coming on our show. All right. Thank you for having me. And um, Larry's also the... Um, FLIOA's ICE agency president, um, and as I said, he's the national executive vice president. And then to talk from a, a very sort of macro perspective on law enforcement issues um, at all of our nation's borders, um, we have the executive director of FLIOA, Pat O'Carroll. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Deborah. Thanks for having me. And Pat, um, I'm just going to say Pat's had a lifetime um, in federal law enforcement. I don't think we should disclose the number, Pat. But he he started he started his career um, in 1972 with the U.S. Secret Service um, as a Secret Service agent. And um, and I, I think quite, quite impressively ended his career as the IG for the Social Security Administration. Um, now is the executive director of FLIOA. So um, we, we really are very lucky to have with us um, these guests. And what I thought that we would do <clears throat> is briefly um, talk with um, Brandon and then with uh, Larry about your membership, what your organizations are, who you represent, and sort of the mission of your, your organization with regard to border security. And Brandon, um, you're representing Border Patrol agents, 19,000. Well, so I, I I actually represent the rank and file border patrol agents. Um, so I represent about fourteen thousand border patrol agents. Um, we do not m- represent the the management um, agents. Uh, they're not allowed to be part of an actual union. They are they are allowed to be part of an association, um, but not a union. Um, what's unique about um, the National Border Patrol Council is ninety percent of all rank and file border patrol agents are voluntary members of the National Border Patrol Council. Um, Within the federal government, um, those that are voluntary members of a union is right around 50%. Um, And so we have um, a 
a much larger percentage. In fact, I believe it's the largest percentage in, in the entire federal government. Um, what we do is, is we represent the interests of, of Border Patrol agents, and, and those interests span everything from politics um, to simple bargaining of, of uniforms. We are not a typical um, union. We cannot bargain wages. Um, that's not something that, that, that we can do by law. Um, but we can look out for the interests um, of our agents. And, and again, that can span everything from legal uh, counsel, legal coverage um, in the event uh, that an incident takes place. Um, it can also um, cover them in, in the political spectrum um, as far as who they feel are the best uh, uh, candidates for a specific office. Um, so we, we represent all of their interests. And, and Larry, you've been a member of FLEO, I'm sure, since forever, right? A lifetime. Right, a lifetime. <laughs> so tell us about your membership um, and, um, and specifically with regard to um, the, mem- your, you know, the, the types of members, the categories of members you have that are engaged in law enforcement missions on our, on our U.S. border. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I am the uh, current, my current title in, in the organization, it's uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, commonly referred to as FLEO, is the uh, largest nonpartisan and nonprofit professional association. And we exclu- exclusively uh, represent federal law enforcement officers from 65 different federal agencies. And uh, we currently represent 27,000 members uh, from these 65 different agencies. And they vary. Uh, from all the different components within DHS, the Department of Justice, the Department of Interior, uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Bureau of Land Management. There are so many different agencies. Actually, when I, when I became a member of, of the association, I learned a, uh, a good lesson on how many agencies uh, do have law enforcement officers uh, and people in our profession. So we have, uh, on, on the border, we have uh, CBPOs that we represent. We have ICE in uh officers that come from the ranks of the enforcement removal operations division directorate and then we have from the homeland security investigations directorate of ice we also have actually members from uh brandon's uh organization uh obviously brandon's organization is the lead bargaining unit for the for those members but they have the option of joining our organization too and um we have a vast majority of the, of the folks that work on the on the border. We also have DEA agents from the Department of Justice. We have the FBI. We have uh, Fish and Wildlife. I want to mention them. The Bureau of Land Management, I mentioned earlier. We have uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs. We have Health and Human Services that uh, deal with uh, border issues also. Uh, we have the Food and Drug Administration. So we have a, a whole host of folks. I, I could go on and on. Uh, like I said, we have about 65 or more uh, different federal uh, agencies that that we represent. Yeah, and it's really it's really a government wide, Larry. It's really like a government wide effort of law enforcement. Yes. Um, managing our international borders and the management of the borders isn't just um, sort of a preventative, defensive tactic. Um, some of what happens at the international borders, a lot of what happens, is the management of goods entering into the United States. Um, the debate, the Correct. discussion for the last six months or so has been about people. A lot of what happens at CBP from your officers, Larry, involves um, the importation and exportation of goods. Um, and so, Larry, I think that maybe you would be good to sort of walk our listeners through um, what are what are the international borders. So much of the conversation the last five, six months has been about one border, the land border, the southern land border. But but lay out for our listeners all of the different sort of types of ports of entries um, um, and borders that federal law enforcement manages. Absolutely. We have, well, when everyone thinks of the border, immediately folks think about the southern border because that's the most talked about in, in, in the mainstream media and, and on talk radio. So what happens is people think of that only, but in reality, the border is the land borders. We have land borders. We have uh, sea, land, sea, and air is the way, the best way to describe it. So we have like at international airports, we have what are called the federal inspection facilities where folks that arrive from overseas, from whatever foreign country they're arriving, they're then they're presented to a U.S. Customs and Border Protection officer 
and then they present their documents and their, or their non-immigrant visas or their immigrant visas, depending on, you know, their, their uh, lawful status upon entry. And then they're, they're uh, determined whether they're admissible into the United States. And then for those reasons, that's where you can fly into an airport or you could be on a cruise. You could be mm-hmm. on, a, on a cruise, a transatlantic cruise and dock in the port of, uh, of New York and then be inspected by uh, officers from, from CBP also. And same process, they would present documents. And then on the land, it's the same process also. They, they're, if they're you know, obviously trying to make a lawful entry, they have their, their proper documentation, they present it to the officers, and then that's where you know, they would be processed, uh, processed and admitted you know, lawfully into the United States. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately- so That's probably the simplest, simplest way to describe it. Yeah, I think unfortunately, many Americans today have a view of what the U.S. borders look like, and it's one border, it's a land border in the South. And it's, I think it's hard to intellectually wrap your brain around that an international border is like JFK, or it's the Miami cruise state, you know, terminal. Um, and the laws of the United States treat those places as a port of entry, otherwise known as an international border. And so much of what, Larry, your members do occurs in those ports of entries. Um, We're going to take a break. When we come back, um, I want to speak with uh, Brandon now. I want to focus a little bit on um, the land border, the southern border, and talk about that in a little bit more detail. But we do need to take our first commercial break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today's show is um, a real insider show. We're talking about border security. So, Brandon, let's talk about the southern border. Can you just first of all, southern and northern, Mm -hmm. what I want you to do now in the next five minutes or so is talk about the two land borders. What's the difference in what the actual borders are like and the issues that present to your agents at those borders. Uh, so, if you look at the uh, the different land borders that we have, um, from on the southwest border, you you have a land border that goes from San Diego, California, um, down to Brownsville, Texas, uh, and that's about two thousand miles of, of border. Uh, now, on the northern border, that is the l- longest contiguous border of any um, country in in the entire world. I love that statistic. Um, it, it is. It's it's very interesting. Most people don't under most people don't realize that no other countries have a border that's as as, as long as as Canada and the United States. And um, and and with such a friendly neighbor. We we it, it is. We actually work very well with uh, Canadian law enforcement, which is one of the reasons why we just don't have the same problems. Um, on the Canadian border is, is what we do on the southwest border with Mexico. Um, Mexico typically in the in the past has not worked very well with the United States as far as uh, communication sharing, as far as uh, the the intelligence of of what's of what's happening, the the different um, narcotics that are being smuggled, the different um, products that are being smuggled. Most people will break down and say that um, what's crossing the the southwest border are either people or drugs, and that's just completely not true. Um, they will smuggle anything, any, any products, the fake products like fake Oakleys, um, fake Nike shoes. Um, they will smuggle anything um, that is contraband, uh, mostly comes across the southwest border from Mexico into the United States. Um, one of the, the major problems that we deal with in Mexico is um, every all the crime is controlled by criminal cartels. Um, that's organized crime, and they control every facet facet of that. And, and we know that in, in Mexico, those cartels run, run very rampant. And, and of course, you know, um, I'm going to show my age, but the cartels have been the bane of federal law enforcement's existence, the cartels from Central and South America and in Mexico uh, since like the 70s. Yeah. From, from a border security standpoint, absolutely. But what, what people it, need it, to understand- It brought the war on drugs, it did. which initially focused a lot of law enforcement effort 
on the southern border. It did. It did. Um, what what most people need to understand is that that uh, cartels are the exact same thing as organized crime. Um, so what you see when you, when you watch those movies um, um, back in the uh, prohibition days, um, organized crime, that's all the cartels are. It's organized. Um, we just call them cartels because that's how they 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 associate themselves. Um, and there's there's uh, various numbers of cartels, and they're constantly fighting for. Um, control of different areas on the border. Um, Mexico is is an extremely violent um, country when it comes to the cartels. There's more murders in Mexico um, than almost any country in in, in the world, um, and that's what's known. Of course, you the unknown aspect of it um, comes later on down the road, um, and, and so we we can see the difficulties that that we face when we're dealing with, uh, with a, a border with a country that is, if you will, a third world country, um, whereas the United States and Canada are, are very developed countries. Um, and so it, it's, a different, it's a completely different world. And again, I'm not trying to disparage Mexico in any way, shape, or form. It's a beautiful country. Um, they just don't have the same laws um, that we have. And that's why so many people want to come to the United States is because of the prosperity that exists here. Pat, you wanted to jump in and make a comment. No, I was just uh, kind of going along with Brandon was saying there is that um, with oftentimes everybody's thinking in, in the organized crime world of drug trafficking and the old movies and different things like that. And they've moved out of many of the ports of entry that we've been doing and now coming across borders, which is throwing much more of the emphasis from DEA and the, and the different federal agencies that are on narcotics prevention are now having to partner more with ICE and with Border Patrol in terms of trying to stem that flow of drugs. Hmm, that's a, a, sort of an interest um, because they they see um, you know there there's the certain ports of entry no longer vulnerable and so kind of like you know ants they find their way right <laughs> talk to my husband they find their way into the kitchen um, because you blocked off one port you know one way in and they sort of come through the other um, so. Um, get, getting back to sort of the physical structure, and I don't mean barriers, I'm just talking about what the actual borders look like between the southern border and the northern border, Brandon. Um, they're both land borders. They are. Um, and um, from San Diego to Brownsville is about 2,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, the Canadian border is, is it like 1,000 miles longer? No, it's about 4,000 miles. It's about four, it's double. 4,000. Mm-hmm. Double Almost. the length. Mm-hmm. And Give, give our listeners um, um, a historic view of where has CBP and, you know, sort of in the old days, legacy INS and customs, where have they put proportionately their resources? So it, it's interesting because we, we try to, uh, unfortunately for us, we're normally be behind the eight ball. We, we react instead of, be, instead of proactive. Now, that's changing as, as we get more, uh, as we become more intelligence driven. Um, we try to find out um, what, what's taking place. You know, Larry can, can talk about that uh, in a great deal, um, but the Homeland Security Investigations, which is part of ICE, um, they try to provide us with the information so that we can be more proactive. But in, in the past, what we've done is we've reacted um, to the way the cartels have driven it. If you go back to uh, 1990, um, the, the vast majority of illegal immigration and drug smuggling took place in San Diego and El Paso, Texas, San Diego, California, and El Paso, Texas. Um, the Border Patrol thought that if we, if we focused all of our resources on those two areas, we would be able to control the crime that was taking place on the border. They, nobody thought that uh, the cartels would, would change to the inhospitable deserts of Arizona, um, partly because of how remote and desolate it is. The other part is, is there's no major cities on the borders in, in Arizona. The, the biggest city is Nogales, Arizona. And that's not that's not a very big city. Um, well, I guess Yuma and Nogales, Yuma is the biggest city, um, but that's that's very remote. I've been area. to the Nogales Border Patrol Station representing um, one of your man, you know, a Border Patrol agent yep. manager. Yep, yep. That's a, it's a they, they very big remote. station. Yes, but it, it was, is. and it was in the nineties, uh-huh. and it's remote. Yeah, but if you if you look at San Diego and El Paso, you're talking about major metropolitan areas, um, and so we thought that we could if we threw all of our resources there 
that we would be able to control uh, the illegal immigration. That was as far from the truth as, as what anybody knew. In fact, Arizona exploded like uh, no other state ever has. Um, and and we, we, we saw the problem. So we threw all of our resources at Arizona and the cartels transferred all of their um, their dealings down to the Rio Grande Valley at the tip of uh, um, Brownsville down in, um, in in the Gulf part of, of the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so you, you can see that the cartels are constantly evolving, constantly changing, and they react to what we do. Um, and, and oftentimes we're behind the eight ball like what we were in RGV, and now we're trying to catch up to the problem that exists there. So I, I want to bring Larry into the conversation because I want our listeners to understand the difference between what does Border Patrol agents do at international borders and ports of entries versus ICE ERO and HSI. Larry, you want to lead us off? Well, it's, it's sort of like we work hand in hand with uh, the U.S. Border Patrol because I, I can tell you for, for enhancement of the border uh, security uh, purposes, many uh, years ago uh, within HSI, they created what's called a, a Border Enforcement Security Task Forces, which Border Patrol agents are a part of and U.S. Customs and Border Protection Officers are also a part of and other federal, state, and local, and tribal and international law enforcement officials are also a part of, of the uh, task forces that are why they're they're all over the United States. Uh, well, they are spread through all the U.S. There's about 60 of them right now throughout the United States. So the mission of ICE ERO enforcement removal operations is basically to identify and arrest and remove any aliens that pose a uh, public safety risk to to the United States. And that's and, once they're inside. And the mission of and that's once they're inside the U.S. border. Right. Correct. They are inside the U.S. border, and that's part of the interior enforcement uh, of the men and women we represent within ICE. They handle the interior enforcement. So on the front lines, obviously, you have U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers, of which the United States Border Patrol agents are a part of, and they it's sort of like a multi-layered approach. And then we support their mission. We support the Border Patrol agents' mission, like Brandon was just talking about, with of sharing of uh, with the men and women support our, uh, that we represent, support their mission sharing of the intelligence and the enforcement operations. And then within uh, HSI, of the members that we have in HSI, they're the uh, largest investigative arm of the Department of uh, Homeland Security, and they combat all criminal organizations that are trying to exploit, you know, our travel, trade, and financial and immigration systems throughout the United States. So it's basically broad authority within DHS and all and within the ICE mission for HSI and ERO and and those officers and agents we represent support the, the border patrol agents and the CBPOs at the border whether it's a, a, at the uh, airport scenario like we talked about earlier whether it's a seaport scenario or a land border scenario mm -hmm. and we all work collectively to to enhance the border security of the United States so, Brandon, from what Larry says, and of course, Girl, what I what I know, you know, representing federal law enforcement, um, my 29 year career um, is Border Patrol agents are the front line. We are. We are. But we're supported again. And what Larry brought but, out. But what is it that like, what exactly does that mean so, that they're on the front line? Because because I know because I've represented um, I had um, I haven't for a while, mm -hmm. but. There was a period of time in my career where I was representing like the management level, yep. but they're still agents. They worked their way up. They, do. they 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 did the work of an average border mm -hmm. patrol agent. Um, and what what is that work? What does that mean? So when to you look the at the front, front lines, line? when you hear the front lines, we're the individuals that actually go out, put on a uniform, um, get a vehicle, and go drive along the border and try to interdict or try to stop. Um, illegal immigration or illegal smuggling, and, and that can be many different things, again, like, like what we talked about. Um, but what I do appreciate about today as opposed to yesteryear, INS years, um, when we do have HSI that are, are working hand-in-hand hand with us, uh, we didn't have that under INS, by the way, um, but now that we have HSI, they're the ones that are providing us with the intelligence that is necessary in order to deploy our resources on the front lines Tell us where we need to put those agents to patrol the border to actually get out and work that. Now, 
we cover a, a, a vast amount of terrain. We have mountains, we have rivers, we have deserts. Um, we have all kinds of different terrain that we have to patrol in. And so we don't just go into one specific specialization. We have to be able to do everything from snowmobiles to horses to ATVs um, and, and, again, to vehicles. And off-roading in vehicles is very different than driving in the city. Um, so we, we have to be able to do all of those different things and patrol all of the different areas. Um, we have uh, boat patrol on the rivers in the Rio Grande. Um, we have boat patrol up on, the, uh, up on the northern border. And, of course, if you look up on the northern border, we also have the Great Lakes that we have to patrol, um, and so we have the boat patrol there. Um, so we have a lot of different resources that we have to deploy in a frontline posture in order to combat illegal smuggling into the United States. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today's show is um, a real insider show. We're talking about border security. So I'm reminded um, in the 90s where I had the bulk of my work representing Border Patrol agents of a statistic that, that I used to hear from DEA agents and Border Patrol agents that the two most dangerous jobs in federal law enforcement, I don't know if it's true anymore and I don't know how you measure that, um, but I do also appreciate the difference of what that job must look like today versus 20 years ago with all of the technology um, that you didn't have 20 years ago. But that two, the, the two most dangerous jobs in federal law enforcement back then in the mid to late 90s was Border Patrol and DEA. DEA because they had to go into the meth um, of, uh, not, not factories. Well, they but have the, to infiltrate. They have to infiltrate the, very the criminal dangerous. organizations. Exactly. And Border Patrol agents, um, harrowing, harrowing stories of being alone at night on foot on the international borders, north or south. Um, and I I just wouldn't do that. I It's, it's got to be scary to be alone at night, um, like looking for people who are doing something that under our laws is illegal. Um, and so I don't know if that statistic still remains, that it's still a very dangerous job. From a federal law enforcement, yes. Um, law enforcement in general is it can be very dangerous. In fact, we're hearing um, each and every day we're hearing about a new um, officer in, in the law enforcement community that is that, that has been shot, um, that has been killed. Um, law enforcement in, in general is, is, is dangerous, um, but it's a very fulfilling job. Um, you feel very good um, when you go out and, and you're there to try to protect the public, to try to do the best that you can to keep this country safe. Um, it's very good. I, I'm, I'm sure that, that Larry and, and Pat can speak to that. Um, they would know better than most, having been in law enforcement for for the many years that they have. And by the way, you did date Pat. Um, <laughs> you, you called him out nineteen seventy two. I mean, that, I wasn't even born it in nineteen seventy two. By the way, you were born in seventy two. That <laughs> I was born so, in seventy three. That is so cute. So, <laughs> I could have babysat so, you. So, but but I mean, you, you've got a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, and 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 Pat, having started his career with Secret Service and has worked in different in, in different jobs, he can he can tell you exactly how dangerous and difficult um, the law enforcement job can be. But from a frontline perspective, 
Um, it is. It, it is very dangerous. J- just so that your 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 audience knows, um, I was a canine handler, and the largest group of individuals that I took into custody by myself with my um, by canine yourself. partner by myself with my canine partner was fifty six individuals. Um, you just don't see that in in other law enforcement um, um, agencies or communities. But that's what we do. And and but frankly, it is a fulfilling job, and I and I appreciate the job. Yeah. So Pat. So let's talk about starting breaking it down at the macro. Let's start at the macro level, right? So we have a feel for all of the international borders. They're just not land borders. They're sea, um, you know, sea entries, airport entries, all, all and and all of the work that law enforcement does at all of those different types of international borders. What today? How do you describe today the top security issues facing law enforcement at all of those ports of entry? Well, Deborah, it's, it's a couple things on that. One is is that in 21st century policing, is it's a coalition now of all the different organizations. And as Brandon kept bringing up, is, is that it's the intelligence that's coming from one agency passing it on to the other agency that really does the, um, the work that uh, behind the scenes on it. In our case, so when we're talking about crossing, you know, border issues on a type of thing, as soon as those people's feet get into the United States, a whole nother set of law enforcement steps in. So we're talking, as Larry mentioned before, when you're talking Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, in many of those cases, they're stepping onto federal property that those agencies are watching out for. The other one is, is that when these illegals or anyone else comes into the country, they're going to need identification. Then you start talking about the counterfeit identification that's out there where they start counterfeiting driver's licenses, social security cards, and other pieces of information. That touches a whole other set of law enforcement. And and we saw, for, for listeners who maybe um, weren't f- focused in on this back in 2001, 2002, that whole issue, Pat, that you just brought up about counterfeiting uh, identification to enter and do your business inside the United States was a central issue of the 9-11 Commission because the terrorists who entered had documentation that had all been false. I don't know that they all did. Many of them did. Had had um, You know, there's a whole industry of falsifying you know, what looks to be like lawful U.S. doc, you know, ID. Exactly. In fact, uh, with the 9-11 ones, at that time I was the IG of Social Security, and we were concerned that they had legitimate Social Security numbers when they came in, or were they counterfeit? And what we ended up doing, which is sort of an interesting sideline on it, was is that they had gotten FAA uh, permits for pilot, as pilot permits. And what they did was they took the first nine numbers off of their FAA permit and started using that as a social security number. But the other part of it is, is that in, in that same time period there, we did start to focus on the number of counterfeit documents that are out there. And when you think about it, that's touching IRS. Anybody who's, who's working illegally using a false number is now you know, gumming up the works in terms of all the other agencies and reporting and different pieces like that. So for FLIOA, has um, the work that FLIOA does for your 26, 27,000 members, has, um, has, has the uh, work you do on policy, advocating policy regarding border security, has it changed over time since 9-11? Yeah, it, it has. And, and again, one of the things we've talked about is, is with 26,000 members on it, there's a lot of different opinions out there. Yeah. So what, You're famous we, for saying I have 26 in the last in the last month or so <laughs> where it was a very heightened conversation about border security. Um, Pat's famous for saying that he had 26,000 opinions. Yeah, and, and that's it. and when you're you're getting a question from either politicians or whatever on it type of thing, that's that is our answer is is that we don't want to take a political stand on on issues. Our biggest issue on it is the safety of our agents, officers, the men and women that are out there defending our borders on it, and we want to support them completely. And and that's our message is is that it's now everybody, and it goes back to the fact that when you think about the DEA agent in Detroit or the FBI agent in Philadelphia whatever on a type of thing is, is that they're interwoven into this group and, and behind that is our full support. So, um, so Brandon, I had asked you this question earlier in the show, sort of the distribution of resources, border patrol. 
um, my intuition tells me logically that the vast majority of Border Patrol agents are engaged in work on the southern border. Yes. Um, you might not be able to tell me the number, but my intuition says that that's where the work is. It, it, the, the vast majority of the work is there. In fact, I'm, I'm now stationed up on the northern border. I spent the, my first 15 years um, on the southwest border in El Central California and then in the Tucson, Arizona sectors. Um, I'm now up on the northern border. What, what happens is after you, you spend 15 years running through the desert beating your body up, you go up to the northern border for a break. Um, now I, it's I, currently I, I say minus that, I say 45 that, degrees yeah. on the northern border. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. They're, they're, <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. There is actual work up on the northern border, and, and it's a very important place that we do have to work. Um, the different types of smuggling um, – takes place on on the different borders that we have the 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 land um, the air and the sea there they smuggling takes place in all of those different areas um, but you're going to see a lot more um, sophisticated smuggling taking place on the northern border as opposed to the southwest border because they don't have to on the southwest border now as we get better on the southwest border the the smuggling will become more sophisticated as well but the sophistication of we see a lot more sophistication coming out of the northern border than what we do on the southwest border. Um, we'll see a lot of um, um, sex trafficking that will take place on the on the northern border um, with with actual prostitutes. We'll see a lot of sex trafficking um, on the southwest border, but we'll see that with with people that are being put into indentured servitude that that are that are not necessarily going into it voluntarily, um, and that is heartbreaking. That's that's very heart wrenching. Um, and it's something that Border Patrol agents deal with on a, on a daily basis. And, and it's very difficult um, to distinguish who is being brought in for the sex trade, who is actually being brought in um, with parents. And, and, and to, to be able to distinguish Yeah, there's no that is, DNA test difficult. at the border. There's, there's not. There's not. And, and again, and I don't mean to, 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 to prop up HSI, but that's where they do uh, – Great work. They're, they they work behind the scenes providing us the, the information that we need, but then they also get out into the cities and the communities um, to look for that uh, what's taking place. And, and that intelligence leads them right back to the border so that they can give the uniformed um, um, officers the information that we need to do our jobs. So um, can't talk about border security now without talking about actual – uh, techniques and and resources. You know what we've really talked about mostly are personnel. That's the number one resource that our government obviously projects out um, on our international borders. Um, and the some of the legal work I've done for individual clients, like I said, hasn't been since the late '90s. And the technology on um, yeah at the ports of entry and um, and at the borders has really dramatically changed in 20 years. Um, and so, Brandon, I thought like you could run through for our listeners, um, you know, what real, you know, besides human being, right, mm-hmm. your agents. Yep. Um, and of course, um, however we call it, I, I don't use the word wall in a political sense. I'm not advocating Absolutely. a political mm-hmm. position, yep. um, but there is barrier 700 miles of already built barrier um, from San Diego, 700 miles east um, since the mid-90s. And we're going to talk more about Border Patrol Council's position on additional barrier. But we have people and we have some barrier. There's a whole lot more in your in your arsenal that that border patrol agents have now that they did not have 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the problem that we have with uh, with technology, however, is if we don't have the proper mixture of technology with personnel, we just can't get the job done. For instance, um, when I first started my career back in 1997, we didn't have drones. Uh, we didn't work with drones. We didn't have them. Um, we have drones, and the drones are fantastic with spotting what's coming across the border. But the drones can't take anybody into custody. And j- just to give an example, when I was working in Naco, Arizona, as a canine handler again, um, drones had four different groups on camera. They, they, they spotted four different groups. We didn't have enough agents to deploy to arrest all of those individuals that crossed the border illegally. Um, we ended up taking into custody two of those groups, and, and we didn't get every single one of those individuals. When, when I'm talking groups for your audience to, to understand, we're talking about between 20 and 50 um, people um, and, and oftentimes smugglers as well. 
uh, drug smugglers. Um, but we were only able to take into custody two of those groups, and two of the groups got away, um, completely got away. And so, you know, the drones were phenomenal as far as spotting the groups. But if we didn't have the, the manpower, the personnel to actually take those groups into custody, the drones were only 50% effective. And so when you look at that, we have to have that proper mixture. Um, the border security, it's like a puzzle. You have to take all of the pieces of the puzzle. You have to say, okay, we need so much technology. We need so much personnel. We need so much barrier. Um, we need so many um, um, cameras. We need so many sensors. You have to take all of those, and you have to take those pieces and, and you have to have the right mixture and put them together to create a border security landscape, a, a full border security landscape. Unfortunately, we, we haven't been able to do that yet. And so we still have, you know, part of this landscape put together, but the other part we still have to, to bring it together to make it work. Right. And, and, um, and that's, I think, because of the actual um, physicality of these land borders. Yep. The southern border um, goes through desert and mountains and mostly follows the Rio Grande. Yes. And the northern border is, um, is, is very sort of remote, unpopulated land. Um, so, um, so you have drones, which you didn't have 20 years ago. You have cameras. Um, you have sensors, which yep. I think super cool. <laughs> they are. They're very super cool. Super cool. Um, and you have some radar. Um, and... Um, and the other statistic was, I think, since 2003 or so, or maybe four or five, I don't remember, Congress authorized a doubling of Border Patrol agents, yes. which and was like another eight or 10,000. It was. It was. We, we've, we've actually doubled twice in my, in my career. But so that you're under, your, your listeners understand what a sensor does, a ground sensor is something that, that we have that will detect um, seismic activity. And what will happen is, is they'll, they'll send back a, a signal to what we call a control room. Then the control room will tell us where this seismic activity took place, and and it's set. You can set it to where it, it detects the seismic activity um, between different seconds, and that will give us an idea of how many people we're dealing with. So when a sensor goes off, um, the control room will call out and say the sensor hit for 20 times, and based upon the sensitivity of that sensor, it will give an agent an idea of how many people they're dealing with. So if they say 20 times, um, there's a good possibility that it's 40 if if the if the the sensitivity of, of it is is to detect the seismic activity every two seconds, um, and so we can we can drill it down to tell us about how many people there are. Now, once that seismic um, activity takes place, once the sensor goes off, then we try to get the cameras. Um, in that area so that we can actually see what we're dealing with, whether we're dealing with just, just individuals that, that aren't smuggling drugs or whether they're smuggling drugs, whether they're armed or so on and so forth. That's not something that we had back in the I INS guess. days. We, we weren't able to deploy the cameras hmm. like what we can have. We did have the sensors, um, but, but agents were basically blind as they were going into to uh, try to interdict the, that activity. So so that your listeners understand, that's how a ground sensor works. They're phenomenal tools. They, they, they do a great Still job. Still need people to follow up. But we have to we have to have the people to take I them into custody. I think that's going to be Brandon's point to us for the rest of the show. Um, yes. And um, um, we're going to take our final, hopefully it's going to work this time, we're going to take our last commercial break. And when I come back, I want to talk with Larry um, Cosme and Pat O'Carroll from FLIOA and get an idea from them, um, sort of a more um, holistic view of resources um, that they would, that they think their members need to improve security at our international borders. But we're taking our final commercial break. This is Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today's show is um, a real insider show. We're talking about border security from the actual uh, individuals in the federal workforce that are engaged in border security. That means we have Brandon Judd, 
who is the president of National Border Patrol Council, representing um, Border Patrol agents um, on all of our borders, along with our friends from FLIOA, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Pat O'Carroll's their executive director. Larry Cosme is their national executive vice president. So, so Pat, clearly FLIO has had to, you know, weigh in and and bring um, um, bring their their wisdom to part of our national discussion on border security and where the issues are and ideas for improving security at our borders. Um, explain to our listeners where what FLIO has um, got on their mind. Well, Deborah, it's a it's a number of things. Probably what Brandon brought up before is is that the the problem with the government is is that we're reactionary, and and that stems oftentimes from the way that the agencies are appropriated. You don't know from year to year how much money you're going to have to be able to do any long range planning, and and that's the biggest issue with this is is that in many ways we can see the the borders, we can see the. Uh, major city areas where long, you know, where there's a lot of customs coming in and different issues like that. And, but it takes a long time to hire people for that. And what we're finding is, is that most of the agencies aren't able to, you know, to complete their hiring plans, even for what they're allotted for this year, simply because of background investigations, recruiting and, and other issues like that. So what we're trying to do is, is to get Congress to use a little bit more foresight and to be able to say that, you know, each of these agencies, they need to start talking in terms of allocating the money for hiring people on it into the long term and not using overtime as, as, as sort of the solve that they do on it. Because all it's doing is, is it's wearing down and beating up the men and women that are doing it every day. And it could become a safety issue. Sure. And so, you know, from from you, Pat, um, you remind me of, of talking to Bill Valdez, who's the president of the Senior Executive Association. Whenever you ask Bill about, you know, you know, to, to comment on, you know, how to improve operations at any part of the government or any particular agency, it always starts with appropriators should do more than just pass the CR. It's, you know, no big company, right, would um, budget, you know, by by quarters, they Absolutely. would do it yearly or or even in a five-year plan, um, and they would improve the way they bring on talent. And yeah. I, 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 it's it's remarkable to hear the same thing from sort of another professional association. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, and again, yeah. as we've you know, Larry said, and, and as Brandon has said on it, is is that we're an association, so we're not a union. We represent in rank and file as well as managers on it, and you know, so we do have a pretty good mix of all of them. And and we are seeing from the managers the problem with this is that the training is one of the first things that don't happen when you're running out of money and when you're moving all your money into overtime. Nobody trains. Nobody has any of those issues. So your current workforce is, is starting to fall into arrears at a time when you need new people to come in. And we also need sort of that mentoring. And that's the other issue on it. If your workforce is overworked, tired, et cetera, anybody new that you bring in isn't getting brought up to speed either. So that's our biggest issues. And in law enforcement, it is a lot of mentoring and it's a lot of hands-on and that's how we learn. Yeah, because we're human. And so we have to sort of learn through experience. Um, law enforcement is a very experience-based, it's not a desk job. There is some aspects of it that are very much a desk job. Yeah, and again, with 21st century policing on it, there is a lot of desk work. And that was one of our biggest concerns when there's a shutdown is, is that you don't have all those analysts in the background that are you know doing the record checks and doing the prevention or prediction of what's going to be happening at the next one. So when one of our agents or officers bang on a door, they don't know who's behind it. But when the normal system is working, we know who's behind it and what type of record they have and how dangerous it is. Yeah, and that's because the, the, those folks were declared uh, non-essential. Non Agreed. And that's what we said is, is that, hey, they are essential because now, and just as you mentioned before, with DNA even at a border on it, when you have nobody there to find out what the DNA from the FBI evidence is, that sits there for the two to three weeks where it could have been, you know, used immediately. So what's your sense, uh, Pat, you know, the um, the Joint Committee's meeting has been meeting last week and this week um, to put forth a package on border security. Do you think it, it's going to address a lot of those issues about essentially sort of like budgetary planning, um, which Brandon 
sort of talks about also. It's like, you know, he talks about it as a puzzle and making sure every part of that puzzle, technology, people, um, you know, that it all sort of fits together. You can't do that without a really good budget. Yeah, that's You can't really, do it in a CR. Really good point. You know, one, you need a full budget on it, but two is, is and the other thing that's hitting them is, is that it's, it's a mixture of things in terms of that. You, it isn't just whether you put a barrier up. It's what you're going to be doing in terms of the people to respond when a drone does an, an issue on it. We're always worried about the amount of narcotics and that are coming across the border, that's technology. And it's a, and it's a full package. And, and I think when you start just looking at one element of that and using that as a reason to, you know, to stop going forward, that, you know, it, it's counterproductive. So our thought is we're hoping with this meeting that they're having is, is that's what they're talking about is let's make it a soup. Let's make it a chemistry of a lot of different things, all of which are going to have the same thing that's going to help our men and women that are doing their jobs. Yeah. Larry, you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Uh, Pat <laughs> described it really well, and so did Brandon. Uh, besides the people, technology, and infrastructure, Pat pinned a tail on a donkey, as I would say. It's perfectly outlined where you need to plan. It's sort of like when you build a house, you build the foundation. Well, Pat spoke exactly what I was going you know, add on to what he's saying and segue into what moving forward is the training, whether it's entry-level training for the men and women that are applying for federal law enforcement positions, at the entry level, advanced training for the men and women that we represent that are currently in the rank and file, uh, or, or, or training in new technology, whether it's a new computer application or for the intelligence research specialists that support the mission of the Border Patrol agents, of the CBPOs, of the ICE HSI agents, and the ERO officers. All those individuals are important to, to enhance the, the border security apparatus and and that's important that that folks that are making the plans for the budget uh, budgets look forward in that direction and 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 that's real important where they need to invest in that because like pat described during shutdowns and that's that's the first thing they cut okay let's cut training uh that we could do without for for the interim we're just going to keep you know the basic training uh, entry level stuff but we're not going to worry about the seniors, you know, the uh, advanced training or advanced technology stuff. And that's important that we need to invest in that. This is an investment. This is an investment. What you talked about, uh, Debbie, about the humans that we're dealing with. We, we represent human beings. And that's what I want the general public to understand. There are humans behind the badge, human beings that are out there putting on, whether they're putting on a uniform or they're getting dressed up in a suit, whether they're uh, in an undercover capacity trying to infiltrate organizations to stop the threat to our country. And that's important that the folks out there understand that these individuals are human beings that need to be taken care of. Yeah. And that's why we are here to help them and, and making sure that they, they are taken care of. Yeah, no. And um, um, it's really good to be able to put faces and voices with something, a discussion that's become so politicized. Um, I want to thank our guests for coming um and, and joining us today in the studio, like I've, I've told all of them, it was sort of a coincidence that we actually found a time slot in our schedule. Um, we've been wanting to talk border security um, since mid-2018, and um, but we were our schedule was full. And then all of a sudden, it sort of clears out in the middle of the hottest political debate of our time about it. Um, it is a sheer coincidence, but we're still happy to be able to have... Um, uh, our friends from law enforcement with us today. Thank you, Brandon Judd from uh, the Border Patrol Council. Thank you. And Larry Cosme and Pat O'Carroll. Thank you both thank you, for Doug. coming today and representing you. the uh, law enforcement officers from um, all of our federal agencies. Thank you.